Well, good morning, Doxa. It's great to have you guys. If you, uh, I want to invite you to grab your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 3. This is where we're going to be at today. If you're newer visiting, it's great to have you a part of uh, the Doxa family today. You know, our, our propensity is, as we gather together is just to kind of go through books of the Bible, kind of just one by one, verse at a time, kind of just slow and steady, seeking to grab hold of like the truths that, that God has for us. And then we just ask by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that this would become part of our life, that we can put these truths into action and become the men and women that, that God has created us to be. And so this is who we are. This is like what we do. And so if you don't have a Bible and you've been coming around Doxa or you just want one, we have Bibles on, on our welcome table. You can grab one on your way out. But this is kind of, as we gather, we, we open up the Bible and we want you to be part of that, okay? So now before we get into Acts, guys, you know, for the last like month or two, really it's been like a, probably a year-long journey. We, we really as a church and a leadership team, myself included, like really kind of feeling that God pressing in on us to be a church of, of prayer, right? And then this kind of like came to a head as we got into Acts chapter 1 and 2, where we see this church that God was forming, and as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, like they, they just started praying, right, as, as they waited. And so we, I was super encouraged to see how, how our church responded to that. I mean, groups of, of prayer just kind of popped up out of, out of nowhere, and like people are inviting people over their house, like every night of the week if they want to come and pray. I go and pray with a group of guys before you know, work on, on Tuesday mornings. But guys, here's my question. Is anybody praying for the Badgers? Like what in the world? You guys thought I was going to say something like super spiritual, right? But geez, oh man, guys, come on. Someone be praying, okay? Someone really godly that Jesus is listening to, just shoot one up for the Badgers, okay? And if you guys, if there's any Ohio State fans here, don't acknowledge yourself, okay? But we got a special room for you downstairs that we, you can be together and it's kind of, that's not nice, okay? That's, totally mean. You guys are welcome. Jesus loves you. He does. And I'm going to show you. Okay. But uh, guys, we're going to, we're going to continue in the, the book of Acts. All right. Today. And as here's where we're at in this historical study of the events of the early church. Okay. We we've seen the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus after his crucifixion, where he, where he really just delivers the, the key verse in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, and if you look back, just a page, like he, Jesus says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in all of, Judea, or all of Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and we're going to keep coming back to this verse, all right, as it's really kind of like the, the thesis statement of, of the book of Acts, all right? And it's really just the outline to this entire book. But and then we saw after this is one of the most significant moments in the history of the world. When Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit comes... He comes like wind and fire on this early church. It's the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In this miraculous moment, guys, it literally has changed human history forever. So much so that, that as a result of the day of Pentecost, we are gathered here in a ballroom in Madison, Wisconsin, as a direct result. You just need to know that. As a direct result of the day of Pentecost, that is why we are gathered here. Then after this miraculous moment of Pentecost, we saw that the Holy Spirit then took, just took this, this small group of 120 people that were following Jesus. He grew it to over 3,000 people in just a single day after listening to one sermon given by Peter, right? I get bummed out every time I remind myself of this. So I was just like, gosh, I wish I could be as good a preacher as Peter. So you guys probably do too, right? But anyway, it was incredible, right? This incredible moment as he announces the good news of Jesus and as people are putting their faith in Jesus, they, they gather together. The Spirit produced like this beautiful new community 
And guys, as we, as we looked at this last week, as Ronnie taught through the end of Acts chapter 2, this, this picture of the early church is, is so inviting. It's, it's so desirable, right, that it was just filled with just love and mutual sharing and, and giving. It was just like this amazing community. And I think, guys, as I, as I read this, I think there was probably a tension in those early Christians involved in this early church to maybe kind of like hold on to that fellowship that they had in that new community, right? To kind of just like linger in Acts chapter two with all of its benefits. So they just like promote like this esoteric club atmosphere where they just got to sit and enjoy everything. Because what we're gonna see today is that they didn't do this. And one of the reasons they didn't do this was due to the fact of the very nature of the thing that formed that new community, the gospel itself. And when we talk about the gospel, we just need to understand that the gospel is like explosive and expansive, that it's this spreading flame that had to get out. And this is what we see today in Acts 3. And what we, guys, basically Acts 3 is, is really just kind of like exhibit A of what we see of how the power that God gives to this early church is played out, All right? And we're going to see this morning what happens when the church that the Holy Spirit empowered steps out into the world. This is where we're at. And this leads to the big idea. It's going to come up here on the screen. Guys, I put this up on the screen because I really want you to write this down. We're just going to leave it up there. So whoever's running slides, just leave it up there for the whole time. But this is our big idea of Acts 3, is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled church, continues what Jesus started by living like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. We got to let this burn into our minds and into our hearts, guys. This is really not just even the, the big idea for chapter three, but I would argue it's the big idea for the entire book of Acts, that it's, this is absolutely essential for us to understand so that we can understand how we fit into the grand story of God and really, hear this, why we exist here at Doxa. Because guys, the, the Holy Spirit, he didn't just come to create a new community for the sake of just self-edification, but it was for the sake of mission. That the Spirit-filled church has a mission in this world, and as you sit here in this ballroom, Guys, today is going to be a reminder for God's mission for your life. It's really two things, Jesus and people. People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is the mission. And by looking at what this early church did, we're going to, in fact, be reminded of what we're aiming for here at Doxon. So we're going to begin in chapter 3, verse 1, and here's what we see. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. All right, here's what's going on. Okay, Peter and John, just two of the apostles, part of the early church, they're just going about the everyday stuff of life. And and we really need to grab hold of this, guys. That even though they just like experienced this miraculous moment of Pentecost and they had received the Holy Spirit of God, as we watch them here, Because they're not going on like a special mission trip in the name of Jesus. But they're just simply walking through the everyday stuff of life with Jesus. Because the Jewish calendar has three daily scheduled times of of prayer. There's the morning hour, there's the afternoon hour, and the evening hour. And here Luke tells us it's the ninth hour. All right, so three o'clock in the afternoon, which is the time for evening prayer. And as Peter and John are going to the temple, guys, it suggests that they were just doing what every devout Jew would have faithfully done every day. And so hear this, because this this miraculous moment of God that we're going to watch unfold here is not predicated on on a special mission trip by his people, 
but it's just his people going through everyday life with the love of God, which leads to love people, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what's going on here. And as they're going about the everyday stuff of life and they're filled with the Spirit, they're met by this lame beggar as they enter into the, the temple to worship. All right, and here's what we know about this man, okay? Luke records, if you look back, that he was lame from birth. All right, so he was born into a situation where he was just really unable to live normal life. And essentially, in the first century, having a disability was just a, a veritable death sentence. All right, at the, at the very least, it was a, a sentence of a, a life of, of, of poverty, right? Because you couldn't provide for yourself. This man couldn't work. He couldn't provide for himself. And so he was subjected to a life of being just brought to public places where he could just beg, and receive alms or, or gifts of mercy to survive. All right, so he would sit outside of the temple where his friends would carry him just kind of day after day, and he would be completely at the mercy of other people, hoping and praying that some of God's people, as they go into worship, would have mercy on him and just give him some money so he can live and not starve to death. This is this man's dire situation. He was not in a good spot. And here's what we see. Guys, this, this lame man... He sees Peter and John walking into the temple. And here's where we learn of how the spirit-filled church, the spirit-filled Christian, walks through life to continue what Jesus started. Okay, and, and let me just say, guys, this historical moment is not just given to us for the sake of information, but it's to help us with mission. That what we see in, in Peter and John, what we see them do, guys, it really gives us kind of a, a framework of what it looks like for someone to, to love God and to walk through life and to continue what Jesus started. And so what this really means practically, guys, this relates to you as you take your kids to school in the morning. This relates to you as you walk into the office day after day after day. This relates to you as you sit in the break room. This relates to you as you walk around your neighborhood and interact with your neighbors. Like, this is all practical stuff for every single one of our lives. And so the spirit-filled church, the spirit-filled Christian does three things. And the first thing is this, write this down, is that the spirit-filled church sees people. Verse four, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, I want you to circle this, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. All right, so this, this beggar caught sight of Peter and John, and he begins kind of just like his, his mechanical beggar cry. He likely has done this thousands of times before, and he just asked them for a few cents, a few dollars. And as this happen, happens, like Peter and John, you notice they, they have compassion on him, and instead of just like ignoring him and, and walking right by him, like many of us tend to do to, with people, right, even here in, in Madison, they look directly at this guy, and they even say, hey, hey, just to make sure, like, look at us. They, they see him. Now, because we gotta, I want you to consider a, a question here, all right? Why do they do this? I mean, I mean, why? Why did they stop? Why did they look at this guy? Why didn't they just walk right past him? And, and I want to propose to you guys that it's not just because these are like phenomenal men, all right? I mean, both of these guys are, are broken. They're sinful. They're not perfect at all. But what I believe to be true is that these men were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the, and the Spirit was empowering them to live like Jesus. And so what they were doing is just simply doing what they watched Jesus do as Jesus walked on earth. And they were continuing what Jesus started. That surely as they were walking in, they saw this, this lame beggar crying out to him. They were thinking about probably that picture popped in when they were walking with Jesus that, you know, Jesus didn't just walk past people like this. 
They likely thought back in the times where they were talking to Jesus and someone cried out for him and Jesus kind of looked at them and stopped and see, said, okay, how can, I, how can I serve them? How can I love them? How can I help them and meet their needs? And so as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit who is conforming them to the likeness of Jesus, this is what the Holy Spirit, part of what he does in our lives. Paul shares this in Romans 8, 29, that, that he is conforming us to the image of Jesus. This is the goal of the Christian life and this is what the Holy Spirit does. He conforms us to the likeness of Jesus and as he's doing this, these men just respond just like Jesus would have. And they continue Jesus' mission in our world. Now, I think there's something really significant for us here, guys. I really think that, that we oftentimes expect too little of God and how he can move and work through us in the everyday stuff of life. That, guys, if, if we really saw people like Jesus saw people, we would realize that we are surrounded by gospel ministry opportunities all the time, every single day. But the sad part is, is we, we don't tend to see people like this. And, and if you've been around Doxa, I, I've, I've hit this a number of different times. I'm gonna keep beating this drum that we all tend to see people in one of three ways, right? And I'm gonna keep hitting this. Some of you know where I'm going, but I'm gonna keep hitting it because, guys, in our sin, like our natural propensity is like to, to be inward focused and we don't see people. What we see people is either scenery, machinery, or ministry. Some of you, you, you walk past people just like they're, they're something in, like on the road, right? And you, and you see them or you, you walk by them like they're, they're a sign. They're just scenery. You don't care for them. You don't really see them. You don't love them. You just walk past as though they're just like a fire hydrant. Others of you, you see people, but you see them as machinery, that it's all about, like you'll engage with people if they can produce something for you. If you can get something out of them, like they're a machine, like you'll, you'll engage with them. It's not out of love, but it's out of love for yourself and what you can get from this person. But then there's ministry, seeing people as ministry, which is how we see Jesus see people. This is how we see Peter and John seeing people out of love. And I wonder how many ministry opportunities we miss because we view people as scenery or machinery. I mean, how might you experience God using you in great ways to help people in amazing ways if you just opened your eyes to see people like Peter and John did here? I mean, who are the people in your life that you pass by every single day that if you just saw them, how might God save them? Like, who are those people? And as you think about that, let me point this out to you guys. As, as Jesus kind of walked into your life, he didn't just walk past you and ignore you, but he saw you. And in him seeing you, he showed you his love, and he has either saved you, or he's in the process of doing that right now as he's brought you here today to hear about himself. Because a spirit-filled church, a spirit-filled Christian lives their lives with like, like I always used to, my football coach back in college would always say, you have to have your head on a swivel, right? Because you just never knew when someone was just going to come and blindside you. But a Christian like lives their life with a head on a swivel, looking for who God has divinely intersected your life with so that you can love them and see them and serve them. This is what we do. And guys, and when we see people, here's what we continue to do is to continue what Jesus started. The second thing is this, is that the spirit-filled church gives to people. So we, we see people but then we, we give to people. And we don't just give like a smile and a wave, but we seek to, to serve and really to give. And look at verse six, we see this. Peter said, after being asked for alms, he, he said, I have no silver and gold, 
But underline this next part. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. All right, here's what I want us to see, guys. Peter and John were were once again just doing what Jesus did when he was among them in the flesh. That Jesus gave, and so these people, they gave. That God came into the world giving. Jesus says this in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And because in Peter and John, they just have this same posture here, that they give, they, they serve. Now, ask the question, like, how did they give? Look back. They didn't have money, but verse 6, they gave what they had. And what did they have, guys? I'll give you a clue. It's always the same answer. Jesus, right? It's like a chatty Cathy doll. Jesus, Jesus, right? This is all it is. It, they, they had Jesus, and so they could give Jesus. They were full of Jesus through the Spirit, and so they gave. And just as Jesus gave of himself, they gave out of the overflow of Jesus in them. And here's what we need to know, guys. All that the church gives, we give in and by the name of Jesus. That in this historical account, we see that everything is done in the name of Jesus. Look back to verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Doxa, I need you to know the strength of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, there's a reason why people wrongly and sinfully and shamefully take the Lord's name in vain. It's the name of power. It's the name of authority. It's the name of deity, right? This is Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in, in Philippians that there's no under, other name under heaven by which we can be saved, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Guys, there's something unique and something powerful about the name of Jesus of Nazareth. There's power in his name, and this is what we're seeing in this story. And what we see here, guys, is that the power of Jesus gives, and it gives healing. We see this in verses 7 and 8. All right, that this miraculous moment happens. And guys, when we consider this miracle, because we, we need to know that this miracle was both literal and parabolic, all right? Because the spirit-filled church gives more than just care for the body, but it gives healing to the soul. And while there's people in our world, guys, that have physical sickness that, that needs to be healed, hear this, every person in our world has a spiritual sickness that needs healed. And apart from Jesus, we're all spiritually lame, just like this man, and incapable of helping ourselves when it comes to our eternities. This is like the problem of sin in our world. Like if you ever look out in the world and say, this world is broken and messed up and it hurts people, like the reason is sin. It's not just that people are bad. People are bad because of sin in people. We all have this problem. It's a universal problem, and sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is it it breaks relationships. It, It separates us from God, and it separates us from people. Sin, guys, is the biggest problem in every single one of our lives. It's not about how much money you have or the success of your career. The, The biggest problem that you have right now is the sin in your life, that we're all sick and we're all lame with sin. But hear this, guys. At the name of Jesus, through faith, 
just how this man was helped physically, we are healed spiritually. Instantly, just like this man. Like he just got up and was healed. Guys, this is what happens when we come to Jesus. Like I, I literally just experienced this week. This week I, I got to know a guy and becoming friends with him and, and we were just sitting together. And, and we started talking about Jesus and was sharing the gospel with him and, and just said like, this is what Jesus does. Like he forgives. And it's like, it happens like this. And, I, and we were sitting there, he's like, that doesn't seem to make sense. And I was like, I started thinking, I was like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, that's why it's great. <laughs> like, it, it happens. Like, this is the gospel. And he's like, it seems too easy. And I was like, it was, it's easy for you. It wasn't easy for Jesus. But there's power in his name that we come to him and we're healed. And as Peter offered grace and healing by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it was not merely for the sake of this lame man, but for the demonstration of the gospel. But if you, if you remember back, if you've read the, the gospels, miracles serve many different purposes, but one of the chief purposes that Jesus' miracles served was to signify him being God among us. In this miracle of this man being healed, it points to his power as God, just like the resurrection did. It validates him, it shows his power. And I'll say this, guys, the miracle of this physical healing is something that God can and, and still does, right? But, but the ultimate goal is, is not physical healing. Physical healing is the penultimate goal. It's the secondary goal. The primary goal is spiritual healing. It's kind of like this. I was, I was talking to, to David, one of our, our staff members here this week, and, and we were talking about this idea of like healing and how this points to like the glory of God. And it would be like this. If we, if we saw someone like get physically healed, we would all be just like crazy amazed right? But the miracle of salvation, guys, is an even greater miracle. That if we were to show like two videos and show a video of someone like getting physically healed and then showing a baptism video and someone talking about how God healed them spiritually, Jesus would look at those two videos and he would say, that's the real miracle. This is the hard work. Like this is, this is a miracle and, and great, but this is the real miracle. This is what Jesus points to in John 14, saying that we're going to do even greater things than physical miracles that we see Jesus do. That the greatest miracle in the world is seeing a sinner come to God. And we see this all the time. We, we celebrate this all the time. Because a lot of you, you know my story. And I, like, I think about this in, in terms of my story. I mean, how does this like a, an egocentric, womanizing addict and just a, a pathetic excuse for a man come to be the man that I am today and that you know. And I know some of you are like, you're not that great, newsflash, right? And you're like, amen, right? But whatever, right? I'm not who I need to be, but by God's grace and healing, I'm not who I once was. How does that happen? How do we look at these stories of people just radically changing? Like they're, they're new people. It's Jesus. He heals. Guys, it's all about Jesus and his gospel. And God sometimes does miraculous things like this physical healing to remind us of his power to save and to heal. But while Jesus can, in fact, heal physically, and we should and, and can ask for that and pray for that, our main prayer would be that God would change the heart so that sinners might be saved. And we can give this healing because we can give the Jesus that we have who has power to heal. Now, let me say this, guys. Here, as we talk about healing, like here's what we believe about, about all this. All God's people will receive healing. All right, the question is not if, but when. 
right? And guys, if you're suffering physically, I just want to remind you that in the kingdom of God, you're going to be healed. See, just as Jesus suffered and died and was buried, all of God's people will suffer and die and be buried. And just as Jesus rose conquering sin and death, so Jesus' people will rise in victory over sin and death. And one day we will get new resurrected bodies, completely perfect and holy and healed. You can read this in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you are in a place where you're, where you're suffering and, and, heal, and, and just like you need healing, even if it doesn't happen now, because you can know that it will happen. And so you can stand firm and you can stand firm with, with hope that God is going to do it. He loves you. And so Peter and John, they give, all right? They give Jesus, they, they give healing. And as they do this, they, they give joy, they give wonder. And people are, are seeing this. They're, they're continuing what Jesus started. And the result is that God is worshiped, that as soon as this lame man, if you look back, this lame man is healed. And what does he do? He doesn't turn his back on God, but he turns towards God. And he runs into the temple, leaping with joy and worshiping and praising and celebrating the goodness of God. And guys, as this happened, awe comes upon people, right? That God was being glorified and people are wondering like, what just happened here? And so what, here's what Peter does. Peter, he stands up and he tells them. He tells them the truth about this. And in this, we see the third thing that the spirit-filled church does. That the spirit-filled church, the spirit-filled Christian speaks the truth in love to people. So we see people, we give to people, but it, a spirit-filled church speaks the truth in love. And, and guys, here's the reality for most Christians. You know, most Christians, we would kind of look at, at that situation of, of this miracle, and we would probably all be like, I'd love to be part of that. Like, I'd love to be part of that miracle. I'd love to, like, have God, like, use me to, like, literally make somebody walk or see or, like, yeah, sign me up for that. But when it comes to opening up our mouths in telling people what is true of the miracle and how this happens, many people kind of just shirk back from this. We're like, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. Like, that's, that's for you. You're the pastor. Like, I'll, I'll try and drag people here, and then you can talk to them. But not for me. Like, I, that'll make my life awkward. Like, my job, I could get fired. Like, I, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. Because I want you to hear this. Without an explanation of the power and the message of Jesus, people won't know what is offered by Jesus and be able to experience the joy and the salvation of Jesus. And so by the Spirit, we speak the truth in love. And here's how Peter does it. All right, I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to close with a few comments, okay? So this is Peter's second sermon that we have in the book of Acts. Beautiful sermon, all about Jesus. But this is how Peter, I want you to listen to this. He, he, this is how he speaks the truth in love. As he's not going to pull any punches, but it's bathed in love. Listen, verse 11. While this lame man claimed, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utter, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety that we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant. I want you to circle servant. Glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate and we, when he had decided to release him. Verse 14, but you denied, circle this part, the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed, circle, the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. 
And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, circle that, that is, the Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. For your brothers, you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet, Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and And those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Because here's what Peter's saying as he shares the truth and love. There's so much we could say here. I want to encourage you to read this, but I'm going to show you and summarize this, okay? What Peter is saying is he's sharing this truth in love. Is he saying this? Jesus is God. He loves you and he's always loved you. And even though you killed him, he still loves you. But as he starts speaking the truth in love, he, he starts with Jesus and he reminds us that it's all about Jesus. Look back, verse 13, he, he says that Jesus is a fulfillment of prophecy. Peter refers to Jesus as the servant, which points back to Isaiah's prophecy. If you, if you want to read Isaiah 53, you get this beautiful picture of the suffering servant who Isaiah said would come and to die for the sins of the world. This is Jesus, the suffering servant. Peter is acknowledging that he is a fulfillment of prophecy. Even if you look down to verse 18, he hits it again in saying that Jesus is a fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies through hundreds of years. He's saying this is Jesus. He, he's God. Then verse 14 He refers to Jesus being the holy and the righteous one. Guys, that Jesus is in a category unto himself, all right, that that we don't just kind of see Jesus as another like great historical figure. Like so many people will, will lump Jesus in the category of Mother Teresa and Gandhi and different good people, but Jesus stands alone. There's no one like him. There's never been anyone like him. He alone is perfect. He's sinless. He's not just a good man, but he's the God man. And this is what Peter is saying. He's God. And then verse 15, he calls him the author of life, that Jesus was there at the beginning, creating life, breathing life into all of humanity. And even after he was killed, the author of life came back to life, defeated death, defeated sin, defeated hell through the resurrection. And the resurrection stands as this witness that says, no one has ever done this before. This is Jesus. He is God. And Peter, as he's preaching this message, people are hearing this and saying, okay, Jesus is God. Like, we get it, man. Okay. But look what he says. He says, this is Jesus, but then verse 15, he says, you killed him. Guys, you killed God. And we just need to know this. Guys, that every single one of us, myself included, we're all guilty of Jesus' death and we're all to blame for the crucifixion of Jesus in one way or the other. And even though we weren't there at the time of Jesus' arrest and his trial and his crucifixion, guys, hear this. It was our sin that took him there. It's your sin that killed God. But guys, hear the craziness of the gospel. 
hear the craziness. Look back to verses 17 through 19. Peter says that even the people who killed God can be forgiven. It doesn't make sense. He says, Jesus is God, you killed him, but you can be forgiven. Like, this is the craziness of the gospel that doesn't make sense to people, right? You're like, how, why? Like, why? It's the love of God. It's the gospel of Jesus, the greatest miracle in the world, guys. This is it. And so let me end with this, okay? I have a few words for, for everybody, okay? For, for those of you who are Christians, I have a few words for you. And for those of you who are not Christians, and I'll, I'll start. For those of you who are not Christians, guys, I, I really just need to speak the truth and love to you. And, and, I, and as I do this, I do this as a man that loves Jesus, and, and I love you, and I know you're like, you don't even know me, but I, I do love you because God loves you. And I do this as someone empowered by the Spirit to continue what Jesus started, hoping that someone today comes to God. And I want to say this like very clearly and full of love, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're spiritually dead. And hopefully this isn't news to you, but one day you will die. Like if it is news, like it's like a double whammy, right? I'm spiritually dead. You, you will die one day. And apart from Jesus, guys, you will then live eternally in death, suffering forever because there's no life. There's no spiritual, physical, eternal life apart from the author of life. It's kind of like this, guys, when, when you unplug your phone, or your iPad, or your computer, guys, like, what happens? When you unplug it from the power source, what happens? It's not dead, but it's dying. Because apart from being connected to the source of life, it will die, and it will remain dead. Because that's how every single one of us are spiritually. That we're dying, and we're in the process of dying. And we will die. And apart from a connection to the author of life, all we will ever know, guys, is death. Spiritual death that culminates in physical death that results in just eternal death. But the good news, guys, is Jesus is the author of life. He's the author of life. And here's his message to you. Look back to verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. The good news is that the author of life, he, he comes. We kill him. He comes back to life and he says, I love you and all of your sin, all of your transgression, the thing that is gonna kill you, I will take. And he says, repent. And repent literally means to change the way that we think. It means to change the way that we think about God. It means to change the way that we think about ourselves and think about our sin. And we change the way that we think about this and we turn to God. And, and Peter says that when we do this, that our sins are blotted out. All right, you can think of like a, a whiteboard being erased. All right, like if you draw on a whiteboard, you erase it. It's like nothing was ever there. Because when God forgives our sin, he wipes us clean like that. That God doesn't just like scratch out your sin but he wipes it away completely. And only God can do this. Only God can forgive sin. And so you can think of your sin as kind of just like a, a big list. Like you did this, you didn't do this. You, here's your failures, here's your faults, here's your, your flaws, here's all your shortcomings and your sin. We all have this like long list. Some of our lists, like myself, are probably longer than others. 
And Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection is like God putting that list underwater, scrubbing it clean, pulling it out and saying, it's all gone. It's clean. That God is a father and he sees you and he sees all of you, even your sin. But even as he sees all of your sin in the midst of that, he doesn't hate you, but he loves you. And he wants to take the thing from you that is killing you, that will cause you to die. He wants to give you everything. He wants to give you eternal life in salvation, in forgiveness, in a life that just overflows with joy. Like, you wonder why, like, people, like, when you, if maybe you come to Doxa and you've been here, like, people are, like, losing it and they got their hands in the air and they're swaying and they're trying not to be too provocative with their hips, but they're just, like, really excited, right? You, why do they do, guys, they have joy. Why do they have joy? Because this is emphatically true. Jesus, he comes and he blots away our sin. And it produces and it wells up as joy in us because now we know that we're God's kid. And when Peter says in verse 23 that the wrath of God is coming to eradicate evil and sin in our world, we know that we don't have to fear the wrath of God anymore because we're with Jesus. And we get to stand in victory with him, clean, with just hope and joy. But the author of life is saying that if you want to have life, repentance is the key that unlocks all of this for you. And guys, just like Peter, my job as a Christian, like throw off the fact that I'm a pastor, but my job as a Christian is to love you guys by, by giving. And I'm giving you the truth now, but now it's on you to, to figure out what you're going to do with it. Now, for those of you who are Christians, I'm running out of time, so I'll say this really quickly. Three things I want to tell you. Number one, guys, your, your faith is personal, but it's not private. It's a personal thing between you and Jesus, but it's not meant to be something private that you don't share with the world around you. Jesus talks about Christians of being like a city on a hill, that you don't light a candle and then put a basket over it, that we're meant to shine because your faith is not something that you hide because you're embarrassed or you're nervous or anything like that, but your faith is something that you, you walk proudly with because Jesus has done it all. And you don't hide it like Peter because you're missing opportunities. Let your light shine. It's personal, but it's not private. Number two, guys, always be prepared. You look at this. They're walking through the everyday stuff of life, Peter and John. They lock eyes with the, somebody, and then they give. Because you never know who you're going to cross paths with and who God is going to intersect your life with so that you can see them and love them and give to them and speak the truth and love to them. You never know. And so you be prepared. You have your head on a swivel looking for people to love. This is what, a part of the, what it means to continue what Jesus started. And then number three, guys, the Holy Spirit will empower you to continue what Jesus started. Because it's not about you being a super Christian it's not about you being an awesome missionary and like a Bible thumper or any about thing like that. It's about you loving Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life and continuing, continuing what Jesus started. That's what it's about. The Holy Spirit is living in you as a Christian and empowering you to do that, to be part of the miraculous, guys. And as we do that, if this isn't like story time and you guys just listen to me for 40 minutes, but if this is actually like we are like, this is God's word speaking to us, and we take it and internalize it and let it affect our lives, guys, this is when we will see Madison change. You'll see your families change, your street change, all, not because you're great, 
because there's power in the name of Jesus. Let me pray. God, thanks for, for your word. Thanks for just teaching us and even just like, I think about this, how like you, you say hard things. You show us hard things. You show us our sin and expose that but not for the sake of condemnation, but the, for the sake of salvation. And if we would repent and turn to you, Jesus, you bring us in as your kid, you forgive us, you wash us clean. And so God, it's my, my prayer that for those that are here, that are gathered, that you've brought here, that are not following you, they're unsure about their eternity as Holy Spirit, that you would just impress on them to just repent and turn to you and just say, Jesus, I'm here and I'm with you. And would you just shower them with forgiveness Fill them with your spirit and allow them to start walking with you. And for us, God, that are, that are Christians, that we, we love you and we're, we're seeking to follow you, would you help us to understand that you didn't just save us to make us like good people, but you saved us to be like Jesus so that we can continue what you started. And God, I, I pray that we would see hundreds, thousands of people in the life of Doxa come to say yes in you in your name, Jesus, that they, you would, they would find salvation. They'd be brought into the family of God. Would you mobilize our church, the family of God, to live like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life and to continue what you started? Just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, here's what we're going to do. We're